And so we can't afford as a church to despise the gift of prophecy or to allow the misuses of prophecy to um, kind of encourage us to throw it out or not to use it at all, right? So I'm glad we're in a church today that encourages the gift of prophecy. Now the thing is, is when you have the gift of prophecy operating in your church, it causes the leadership a lot more work, doesn't it? Because there's a lot of damage control, there's a lot of um, pastoring that has to go in with that gift. But I just want to say, any gift that we have needs that same care and attention, right? There's false teachers, right? But we don't throw out the gift of teaching. We have pastors who are kind of wolves in sheep's clothing, but we don't throw out the gift of pastoring. Or evangelists who maybe be too heavy-handed or turn people off from God in their, in their desire to evangelize people, but we don't, we don't throw out false evangelists. So we need to reinstate and esteem the gift and the office of prophet. And so I'm glad we're in a church that dares to take the chance to allow the prophetic to flow in it. Now, the prophetic bulletin, how that comes about is we actually have a prophetic team that's very active in this church. We hover around 14 to 15 members in that group. And the group is a highly trained group. We do a lot of activation exercises, a lot of drills. We practice on each other. Um, and we really want to make sure that people are in tune with the spirit of prophecy before we allow them to pray prophetically over anybody. And we actually have prophecy rooms, and they are on Wednesday nights. And if you are interested in having a team of people pray over you prophetically, I encourage you to sign up out in the uh, hallway here. And there's a clipboard there that you can sign up to be prayed for prophetically. Okay? So our prophetic team members have uh, spent a lot of time developing and honing the gift of prophecy. So one of the outputs of the prophetic team is this prophetic bulletin. And what we do is, starting in October and November of every year, we start praying, Lord, what are the prophetic words for the upcoming year, for the, the year that's about to uh, you know, come forward, and what is it that you want your church to know? And not only just our church, but the church at large. And so we begin to compile these words, we come together as a team, we study the words, and what we do is we begin to look for common threads that, that run throughout each one of the prophecies, and we organize them into groups, and then basically we come up with uh, maybe nine or ten bullet points that we desire to share with you as a congregation. And so then we'll put it into a narrative that makes it easy to understand, easy to read, and then we share it with you, the congregation. And this is our output as a team. And what we do with this is we desire for you to pray about it and, and to keep it maybe on your refrigerator or share it with your Christian friends and ask them to pray with you because what will happen is throughout the next year, you begin to see these words becoming fulfilled. It's almost like reading the headlines in advance. And I get so excited every time I read the news or something, I'm like, that's number three on the prophetic bulletin. That's number six on the prophetic bulletin. And it's extremely exciting when you begin to see that. Um, so that's guidance. We also use it as a leadership team. Uh, we constantly refer to this, what God's saying. Um, some of the music that is being written in the church is based off of the prophetic bulletin. 
And like I said, many of the teachings that we have as a church are based off of this prophetic bulletin. Um, there are two Greek words that translate into the English word, word. <laughs> so hopefully you follow that. Two Greek words that translate into the English word for word. And that's logos and rhema, right? Logos, I think we're all familiar with, and this is the logos, right? It's the written word. And this is the thing that we really esteem, we really value, we really treasure. This is our standard. This is the thing that we measure everything by in this church. And as Christians, this is our gold source, isn't it? And so this is the Logos word. But in addition to the Logos, the Lord has given us rhema words. And rhema words are the spoken words. That's the downloads that you get from God. Those are the, the words that God breathes life into you with. And so the prophetic bulletin would fall into that area of a rhema word. And so with those rhema words, we want to be very uh, mindful and good stewards of those words. So we pray about those rhema words. But whenever someone gives you a prophetic word, you have a responsibility as the receiver, as the listener of that word. I share this every year, so forgive me if you've already heard this, but when we train up our prophetic teams, one of the things that we teach them is to train other people that when you get a prophetic word, it's your responsibility to candle it, to test the spirit. And I say candle it, what do I mean? It's a term that's used by egg ranchers, egg farmers, who actually hold eggs up to a candle to see if there's life in that egg or not. If there's no life in the egg, it goes in the bucket to the bakery, right? If there's life in the egg, it goes into the bucket to the hatchery. And then that egg is taken well care of and it's incubated so that it can bring forth that new life. So that's what we do, right? Whenever we get a prophetic word, we hold it up to the light. And Jesus is that light. Lord, does this square with you? Lord, you bear witness to this. Lord, is this a good word? And if it's not, you just simply discard it. Don't let it take you out. Don't let it mess you up. You just like, that's past. It's out of my mind. It's in the bucket to the bakery, right? But if it's got life in it, you steward it. You, you hold on to it. You write it down. And you pray about it often because you want to see those words come to pass. Amen? So I just want to encourage you, when you read your prophetic bulletin, just... This candle, Lord, is this true? Lord, do you bear witness to it? And that goes with any time anybody preaches anything to you, whether you hear it here, whether you hear it on the radio, whether a friend's talking to you, we should always candle everything that people tell us, right? And we would expect our listeners to do the same with us, I hope. Okay, let's just get right into it. The first, um, the first word that we got was there's going to be a harvest in 2015. And I don't know about you, but that is really exciting. So 2015, the Lord is showing us that there's going to be a great harvest of souls. And that should just, like, your heart should be popping right now. Because I don't know about you, I've been waiting for this for a very long time. Um, years of intercession that have gone forth are about to reap a mighty harvest. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm starting to hear this word everywhere. Every time I pick up any kind of uh, newspaper or Christian um, you know, website, they're all talking about the same thing. They're all buzzing about the harvest that is coming in 2015. This is going to cause the church to rapidly train up evangelists 
and the church will begin to deliberately branch out. And so if you were here at our vision meeting, you heard that's our theme for 2015, that we are branching out as a church, right? Um, you can order your t-shirt, it should be in your bulletin, about branching out. And so with the branching out, two things happen, right? We begin to branch out, we begin to bear fruit, but in branching out, our roots should go deeper as well, right? So what's, what's the old saying that gardeners use? The root matches the shoot, right? So when you see a tree that has huge canopy on it, you can be sure that underground, there's a root system that's equally as large as that canopy, amen? And so as we go deeper and we begin to branch out, it should be just a witness to the world that God's church is rising up. And so that should cause us great joy. We as a church are very deliberate about the five-fold ministry. If you don't know what it is, look it up in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. But it talks about God is raising up apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to do what? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to bring the church into full maturity, full stature. And so last year, one of the words that we had was that the gift of evangelism was being emphasized. So you saw us posturing ourselves, getting very deliberate about beginning to build up the, the evangelistic gift in this church. We, we already did the prophetic with our prophecy team, so we covered that fivefold office. Um, the pastors and teachers were very deliberate about through our Discipleship Institute, VI, and we have health training, which stands for pastor elder leader training. And so we got those bases covered. And so the next thing that the Lord showed us to emphasize was the gift of evangelism. So we started last year, and now continuing to this year, you're seeing uh, the fivefold gift of evangelism really emphasized. And Pastor Charlie is leading up a team. If you're interested in joining the team, again, there's a sign-up in the hallway here across from the Welcome Center. You can sign up and become part of the evangelism team, where he'll teach and train you how to be effective in that gift of evangelism. The word went on to say it's going to be a time of great rejoicing as loved ones who have been lost, estranged, or resistant to the gospel of Christ will suddenly surrender. And the suddenness of these conversions will encourage others to start witnessing to their friends and family. It's going to be contagious. It's going to be like a domino. It's just going to start a ripple effect within the church, within the Christian community. I know whenever I've seen this happen, it's amazing. I want to tell you a quick story. There was a, a man named Jack, and uh, Jack was famous in Christian men's circles. And I first got saved, and I would go to these men's prayer breakfasts and things, and we would talk about people that were least likely to be saved, or maybe who is it that God can't possibly save. And every time when I would go throughout Metro Detroit, this guy, Jack, would come up. He was, he was just infamous in Christian circles because he would just eat up and spit out Christians. Uh, the man was a phenomenal guitar player, and he was a roofer. Um, that was um, his trade, and he was a pretty coarse man. And so I'd hear all these legends about this guy, Jack. And then one night, we were at the International House of Prayer. Some of you know about that prayer ministry. We used to lead it. It was uh, over here on 10 Mile for about 12 years. And uh, it was just a place where we'd have prayer services Monday through Friday. And Friday night was like our big night where we would just have a full worship team and, and just really contend for this community. 
And lo and behold, through a series of circumstances, this man, Jack, ends up to come to Iowa. And he wasn't coming uh, as a believer, as someone who was interested. He was coming to sell some uh, musical equipment. He, he had some power amps, and he heard we needed amps. So he's coming in to listen to our sound system and to convince us to buy his old amps. And as he was there, things started to happen. He saw these young people on stage, and he was drawn to their musical gifting, their musical talent. And he was just starting to fill the old fire back in him. And um, through a series of circumstances, he gets led to the Lord, and he starts attending, I hope, on Friday nights. Now, again, let me remind you, this man is a very coarse man, and he's using language that is just unbelievable. But one Friday night, uh, the Spirit of God was just moving so heavy on the worship team, and Jack was in this far aisle over here, and all of a sudden, we just saw him yelling and screaming, and he was rolling around on the floor, and all of a sudden, he just jumps up, he's white as a ghost, and he goes carrying out of the joint, busting through the rear doors, and out of the building, into his truck, and gone. We're like, what in the world is that all about? So the next morning, he called his friend Mike. And he goes, Mike, Mike, did you see him? He's like, see what? See who? He said, the angels. He said, what are you talking about, the angels? He goes, the angels that were beating me up in the aisle. And he said, I didn't see him. He said, oh my goodness. He said, they were beating me up so bad. He said, that's why I ran out. He said, I had to break away and get free of these angels. And Mike's like, well, what happened next? He said, I went home. I flushed all my pot, I flushed all my cocaine, I flushed all my alcohol. He says, I don't want anything to do with any of that stuff anymore because I got Jesus Christ in my life. Amen. And that's the power of God, isn't it? And when Jack got saved, guess what? We had a new courage, we had a new boldness, we had a new passion. Because if God can save Jack, God can save my dad, God can save my brother. God can save my cousin. Amen? Because he's a mighty God. He's able to perform. And I don't know about you, but I love being around babies, Christian babies. They are a blast. Because you can tell them anything, right? Hey, you got the power of God. You can walk through that cinder block wall. Really? Boom. You know? well, try harder, brother. Maybe when you get enough faith, right? But, but they're refreshing to have around, aren't they? And they begin to ask you those questions, and they sharpen you, and they hone you. And I don't know about you, but I just want a fresh batch of babies constantly coming in, constantly breathing life, constantly bringing that new faith into our midst so that we don't grow cynical, that we don't grow just dormant in our faith. They fan those flames, don't they? So I just want to encourage you, bring in the babies. We need babies, right? And I think it's interesting in the natural, what's beginning to happen here? Our nursery is getting flooded. I don't know about you, but there's a baby boom out. And I think that's just a, a forerunner of what's about to happen in this sanctuary as well. We're going to have a lot of babies in here. And if you smell a dirty diaper every once in a while, don't be offended. That's what babies do. <laughs> so Jack, we had to tell him, Jack, you can't talk late in here. But we did it very lovingly, but he didn't know. And it's just like, this is God's house. This is a sanctuary. And, and I mean, he fell right into line. It's just a beautiful thing. So just want to encourage you, it's an amazing year. Um, the prodigal call continues. This was the next word that we felt 
a strong anointing on. Many of you know throughout 2014, God highlighted this word to us about the prodigals being called back into the church. And uh, again, another exciting word. We're beginning to see the fruit of that. We're beginning to hear testimonies of that. And so I want to encourage you that that call continues. So he said 2015, the Lord will continue to call the prodigals home back to himself, especially the teens. Not just teens, okay? I, I want to make sure I clarify that word because a lot of people say, well, uh, someone I've been praying for forever finally came back to the Lord. That doesn't count because they're not a teen. Prodigals, including but especially the teens, okay? Just want to make, make sure that's clear. The Lord is doing a work healing the lies and the church wounds that have driven them away. And I think we all know those people, right? That have been hurt, that have been offended by the church. And so we got to begin to be the healing balm that brings them back, that encourages them that things are different now. And the spiritually mature believers will be called to mentor and train those who are returning to the church. And I don't know about you, but nothing delights me more than running into the enemy's camp and snatching back those that he snatched from us. Because they are ours, and we're coming, and we're going to get them. Amen? So let's, let's be very deliberate about this this year. It should offend us whenever we see anybody fall away, when the enemy snatches any of ours, especially our children, our loved ones. And I don't know about you, I'm not going to stand ugly by and say, oh well, you win some, you lose some. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. That doesn't fly, right? We want them all, that's right. So we got to come back for them. And I just want to encourage you, because part of that word is that the spiritually mature needs to begin to disciple these people. And you've heard me speak before about everyone needs a, a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in your life. And real quickly, all that means is in your sphere of friends and influences, you should always have some Pauls, those brothers that or sisters who are over you in Christ, who are role models to you, who are people you look up to, who are people who will tell you the truth, who will pray for you, who are your go-to people in your lives. And if you don't have a Paul in your life, or some Pauls, begin to pray, Lord, bring them into my life. We all need Barnabases. Those are the people who are peer-to-peer -peer relationships, people who we have fun with. They're good, clean Christian people, but we're able to share our hearts, our dreams, our passions with, and they're on the same level as we are. And so, last, we all need Timothys in our lives. And those are the ones that we're called to disciple, the ones that we're called to mentor, the ones that we're called to bring up into maturity, into the Lord. And guess what? They're the ones that keep you sharp. They're the ones that keep you on your toes. And everything you do, you're being watched. And so you don't want to ruin your witness or your testimony because it's going to trip up your Timothys if you begin to falter. Amen? So I want to just be really uh, deliberate about that. Um, and the last thing that we're doing in regards to that is we're implementing my story. If you were here again for our vision meeting, we gave you kind of a teaser of a new ministry that's starting. It's called My Story. And what it is, it's going to be videotaped testimonies of your stories, right? That's the thing I love the most about the Bible is it's just loaded with testimonies of saints who've gone before us, who witnessed to the power of God working and operating through their lives that here we have, precious to us, thousands of years later, these accounts of men and women who've been faithful to fulfill the call of God. And so my story is similar, where you're going to go before uh, a crew who will videotape your story, 
and, and kind of cut it into a concise uh, package, and then we're going to broadcast it to our congregation every service. And then what that should do is encourage you to begin to create stories so that you'll have your story to tell others as well. Really excited about that because I love testimonies. So um, just want to continue to pray for the prodigals this year. Okay, next one is humility. Um, this year will be marked by the spirit of humility. Believers are taking personal inventory of their lives to weed out all forms of pride. Um, those who understand that God opposes the pride, the proud, but gives grace to the humble will understand that they want to weed out any opposition from God, for sure, any opposition from the enemy as well. And as we see the increase of humility in the church, um, the spirit becomes resident in believers, and the gifts of the spirit will increase in the anointing. So as we begin to exhibit the fruit of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit will begin to increase. So if you don't have many gifts, start asking, what's my fruit? You know, what's my character? Uh, I need to develop that as well. So this new sense of godly empowerment will propel believers to walk in the full authority of Christ and bring God into their spheres of influences. Humility is the magnet for God's attraction. Let me say that again. Humility is the magnet for God's attraction. You want to attract God? Get humble. Nothing attracts God quicker than humility. Nothing pushes God away faster than pride. And so if you're feeling resistant, uh, resistance from God, ask yourself in your heart, am I being prideful? You know, when we minister to these young people, we tell them all the time, go low. Right? I'm going low. <laughs> well, go lower, right? Because we need to go low in everything we do. And that's not thinking less of ourselves or or, you know, being self-deprecating. It's just being mindful of others and, and just putting others first, loving God first, loving our neighbors, right? It's not putting ourselves down, but it's, it's putting others before us. And so we really need to hone that gift of humility. I don't know if anybody here has read the book, The Final Quest. If you haven't, I really recommend it. It's called The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. And in the book, it's, it's just a treatise, basically, on humility. And, and it's a pretty bizarre book, I'll warn you ahead of time, because it's full of graphic symbolism. But if you're into that kind of um, writing, it's extremely informative, it's extremely symbolic. And so what he does, he's on this quest to climb the mountain of God. And so on the beginning levels and at the base camp, they're engaging heavy with the enemy, fighting with their swords, their shields, and, and doing a lot of damage to the enemy's kingdom. But they notice as they move up the mountain, they're more effective than they are as when they are in the base camp. And as they continue to ascend the mountain of God, the ledges begin to get more and more narrow. And their swords are less effective because they don't need swords. Because what are swords? They're close combat weapons, aren't they? So as they begin to ascend this mountain, a lot of the warriors are beginning to chuck their, sheer, their swords. What do we need these for? But we need our swords wherever we go, don't we? And he quickly realizes that his sword has another purpose. His sword is used to anchor him on those thin ledges as he ascends the mountain, and they keep his balance for him and allow him to go higher and higher. And as he goes higher, it represents he's getting more and more humble. And as he gets more and more humble, 
he begins to go into the throne room and God begins to, excuse me, to share secrets. Because God does that, right? He shares the secrets to those who he loves. And so this man begins to hear all the secrets of the throne room. And I guarantee you, if you take the time to read it and press through to the end, the wisdom that comes from it is amazing. So it's basically Psalm 24. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands, a pure heart, and who does not lift his soul to any idol or swear by what is false. So do you have a pure heart? Are you, are you idolizing anything before God? Are you putting money before God? Are you putting a relationship before God? Are you putting possessions for God? Or is God your all in all? Um, do you swear by what is false? Are you a liar? Are you telling the truth? You know, you need to examine your heart in all these areas. And that's what will allow you to ascend. Okay. You guys doing all right? Okay. Trying to get this all in. The winds of change is the next one that we need to talk about. It says the winds of change are starting to blow and the intensity will continue to grow throughout the year. Um, these winds serve a twofold purpose of refreshing and cleansing. Um, this is going to blow off the complacency and our addiction to comfort, and at the same time, the rushing winds will cause a refreshing to restore and strengthen our walks. And I don't know about you, but a lot of us need a refreshing, don't we? A lot of us need a cleansing. So we're in a season right now where sins are being brought into light. When I, when I counsel people, it seems like the counseling comes in waves. You know, you'll have a wave of marriage problems, and then maybe you'll have a wave of drug addiction problems, or um, you know, you just start to see patterns. And this year already, starting 2015, the, the year's only a month old, and I've been hearing a lot of confessions. People are just coming in, and they just have these heavy burdens that they need to confess to someone. And so I just want to encourage you, confess your sins. Get it right, right now. Because you know what's happening this year? Is these sins are starting to be found out. And what happens is the cover-up is way worse than the original offense, isn't it? And uh, that's what I'm dealing with now, is the fallout from those who are lying and covering up their sins. It would have been a lot easier on them had they just confessed and not tried to cover them up. So this year you're not going to get away with it anymore. And you know what? That's God's mercy to God's grace, because he's alleviating a lot of people of burdens that the enemy is using to keep you down. So get in a place of confession. Um, you know, call, make an appointment. Um, you know, the Bible says confess your sins one to another. Go to someone who is a trusted person and begin to confess those sins. Because you know what? Once you bring them into light, they lose their power. And then all of a sudden you're held accountable. So I want to just encourage you to get that right. So it's a time to get right with the Lord. The next one is refining the church. So the last word was more of a personal word. This is more a corporate word for the church. But God is refining the church. Time of testing is coming upon the church. And this is going to be the best of time for churches that are operating in obedience. Those who have been taking the time seriously, preparing and training up their people, are going to really reap the whirlwind. It's going to be just a time benefit for them. But the churches that have been polluted by the world or put their own agendas ahead of uh, 
Christ's agenda will be suffering a time of correction to get them back onto their mission, or they'll be leaving out. Okay, that's a pretty strong and heavy word, isn't it? But you know what? We need to get back to the basics, don't we? Somehow we've drifted so far from the most important thing. We need to get the first commandment back in the first place, right? We need to preach, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that needs to be number one priority. I heard a message by, or, um, by Francis Frangipan. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Francis, but he wrote the epic treatise on uh, the three battlegrounds in the spirit realm. And uh, just an amazing epic work that's kind of a standard of spiritual warfare. And, and Francis was called to teach uh, a men's prayer breakfast, but it was a big gathering, biggest men's meeting he ever had an opportunity to speak to. And at the time, he was spiritually dry. And so a month out, he didn't know what he was going to speak on. Two weeks out, he didn't know what he was going to speak on. The week before, he didn't know what he was going to speak on. And this was unusual for him, and he's starting to panic. And then the Saturday night before the Sunday meeting, he still didn't know what he was going to speak on. And he was just in anguish. Lord, what's my message? What's the message? What's the word? I don't know what I'm going to do here. Saturday night, he was up all night wrestling with God. What am I going to speak on? He was worn out. The next morning, he wakes up. An hour before he has to leave, his answering machine goes off. One of the old-fashioned ones, right? Some of you young people not, might not remember the old recorders that we used to have, right? And so it rings, and someone leaves a message, and all of a sudden, the robot voice on his answering machine says, you have one message. And all of a sudden, he knew in that moment, you have one message. Why try to be creative? Why try to come up with something that, that's going to tickle people's ears? You have one message. And as the church, you and I, we have one message. We should never deviate from it, should we? And it should be our go-to every time we have a chance to speak to anybody. And so Francis used that as, as his platform for his ministry and for his teaching from that point on. The churches that have failed may feel like this season is the worst of times, um, but God in his mercy desires to see them refine and to see them grow during this testing period. Um, churches that survive this season of correction and cleansing will rise up and become some of the strongest churches in the land. And uh, I don't know about you, but again, that's very encouraging. God doesn't just chuck us aside, does he? He works with us. He corrects us. He loves us. He tries to train us up. And so I'm just really excited about that. And you know what? Whenever we hear a word like that, don't automatically assume it's for the other guy, right? Whenever we hear someone else is going to get what does that do? Thank God it's not me, right? I have two other brothers, and whenever they are getting a fire from my dad, I'd be like, you know, skated on that one. But that should never be our attitude. Because you know what? Maybe we're the ones that are being corrected, and we don't even know it, right? So we should never have that body attitude that, thank God we're not. But we need to pray for all the churches. I heard recently that we need to look at churches as 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 businessmen look at shopping malls. You know, when you think of a shopping mall, they're kind of counterintuitive when you think about it. Why would a bunch of stores come together in the same place to do business on the same soil? Doesn't it seem like they're all competing against each other? But they realize that in that community of shops, 
there's, there's power, right? There's leverage there. Because maybe someone is being drawn in by another guy's goods that's going to stumble upon your goods, right? And so they realize that they need each other. And the worst thing that can happen in a shopping mall is shops to begin to become boarded up, right? Nobody in a shopping mall, especially the shop owners, want to see anybody go out of business. And we should be the same way in, in the Christian community. We don't want to see another church fail. And I don't know about you, but we need to become very proactive and seeing other churches thrive and continue to do the mission that God has called them to. And that's a really good segue into the next one. Um, bridge builders, um, individual leaders and ministries that have the ability to build relational bridges will play a significant role in 2015. Uh, bridge builders' functions are to help the body of Christ to be rightly fitted with one another. And uh, Jesus, has, or just as a human body, has joints, tendons, and sinews, so it should be with the body of Christ. So the church has been missing these vital connectors, and I love this word because I think it really summarizes our church to a high degree, doesn't it? If, if you know this church, if you've been to any activities, if you've been to any events, if you've been to any parties, I always marvel, like, how did that person know this person over here? And whenever I counsel or minister to people, I find out that a lot of you are related to one another, or you know, maybe even through marriage, and it's like, you've always heard the saying, there's six degrees of separation. I always say at Christ Community Church, there's like two degrees of separation, right? Because everybody knows somebody, or somebody knows somebody from another church, and you guys are really good connectors, you guys are really good bridge builders, you guys are very benevolent towards other ministries. You're not just like, I can only do stuff at C3. I know many of you are active in other ministries. And other ministries are drawn here. Leaders of other ministries and ministry heads are drawn here to use this as their church base. So I really applaud Christ Community Church for that. And I, I think in 2015, we're going to see this church rise up in, in that area to a really high degree. So God's going to use that. And then the last one, I know this is getting kind of long, but uh, protection and armor. Um, the sound of battle and war is beginning to be heard throughout the land. Many will proclaim peace, peace, when there is no peace. Wars and rumors of war are filling the air, aren't they? Um, God's people need not to fear and will not fear as long as they keep their homes in godly order. The cry of the saints to armor up will be sounded like the trumpet's call. Are you ready? Are you prepared? And like the church of Ephesus, so the church of today will be instructed to put its armors on, its armor on. And so, you know, alarms can produce faith or they can produce fear, right? So sometimes when you hear an alarm go off, you're like thinking, oh my goodness, that's the tornado alarm. I'm, I'm in the path of destruction. Or that's the air raid alarm for those that remember the old air raid sirens, right? You had to hide under your desk. I don't know what that was going to do for us, but, but uh, that little pine desk was, was safety. It was our refuge. But, um, you know, it can produce faith or fear. But if you armor up, if you feel fully protected, all of a sudden you have a new confidence, don't you? That, that I'm prepared. I'm ready for battle. Ephesians 6, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it starts off and says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and mighty in his power. Put on the full armor. And then it goes on to say, take your stand against the enemy and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all sorts of prayer. And so basically he tells us to put on our armor 
And then he describes what that armor is, right? We don't have time to go into it, but the, the helmet of salvation, right? The breastplate of righteousness, the shield, the sword, the belt, and the shoes. And so he's saying, get all that on. And you know what? It's, it's in preparation for. You put that armor on before the battle. Because he says, when the day comes, right? He doesn't say in the midst of the battle, armor up. He says, armor up for when the day comes. Be ready, be prepared. And so right now, God is calling us, get your armor on. It's, it's dress-up time. Right now, get, get, get that right. And not to produce fear, but to produce faith, because I'm covered from head to toe. Um, psalm 91, it's a great psalm. I encourage you to begin to pray Psalm 91 over yourself, over your family. Insert your family members' names in that psalm as you pray that psalm, because it's asking God to cover us under the shadow of his wing, right? And so it's a great psalm. Just encourage you in that. This word goes on to say, uh, time has been wasted on pleasure and comfort, and the church will falter at first. However, when it begins to suffer casualties, it will rise up like never before. Um, and then we'll hear a cry go out, prepare for the habitation, because the tide has turned. The Lord is saying, I've shifted the heavens and earth, and the shift has come. Fix your eyes on me. This is not the enemy's world, right? It's not the enemy's world. When young David picked up the Philistine sword and used it against them, it caused great fear to rise up in the enemy's camp. At the same time, it empowered Israel's army to surge forward with a newfound boldness. And you know what? The enemy, his tactic every time in warfare is to keep our eyes on him and what he's doing. So what happened when David went up against Goliath? The army of Israel was facing the, Palis, Palis, um, the Philistine army, right? And Goliath was on center stage, and he was issuing those taunts. And here comes the little pizza delivery boy, David, bringing lunch for the troops, right? And he sees this, and he's indignant with this, this Philistine. He's like, who in the world is this? And all of a sudden, he takes control of the situation. And we don't have time to get into the whole story. But I just love his attitude. He's like, you're going down. You're going down. And how many of you know when two teams come onto a battlefield, the team with the greater expectation of winning is usually the team that's going to win, right? We call it trash talk, don't we? But there's something about trash talking because it builds your faith. It builds your level of expectation. And when you start issuing those taunts, you're going down. And that's what David did. And when he began to go up against those taunts, of Goliath, and he, he hit him with that rock. What did he do next? He grabbed that sword, and he took his head off, didn't he? And he began to fray that head. And I know it's gra graphic, and it's gross, but what did it do? It put David on center stage. It put all eyes on God's army. And what did the Philistines do? They ran for their lives. And what's going to happen when they see the church rise up in this final hour? People are going to begin to flee and run for their lives because we got the thing that should be on stage. So in closing, worship team, if you're around, you can come up. But we need to look at these words collectively. Because each word is important individually, but when you look at the words collectively, what it does, it gives us our marching orders. We're living in the greatest time to be alive. I don't know if you sense it, if you feel it, but what an awesome day that we live in. But what's happening? There's a spirit of terror going out in the land, isn't there? 
I mean, every day you read the paper, it gets more and more outrageous. But these unspeakable acts are designed to keep our eyes on the enemy, aren't they? And so I say, enough is enough. We need to switch that around. We need not fear. If you read the last part of Ephesians 6, I love what Paul says. Paul's like saying, pray for me, pray for me. He's in prison, and he says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And so that's what we need to do, is be fearless in our presentation of the gospel. Be fearless in our faith. Be fearless when we go up against those who oppose us, because we should be in that place, as David was saying, you're going down. Because you know what? I have the truth of God on my side. I'm a, I'm a combatant in the army of God. I'm fully armored up. I'm fully prepared. This morning, as the worship team was preparing for the service, they had a prophetic activation exercise that they went through. And they saw in the spirit black belts, you know, karate belts. So as you begin to progress through the belt ranking, eventually you become a black belt, don't you? And so we need to be in that place where we're like black belts and we're ready to do combat and we fear nothing because we know we're fully trained, we're fully prepared to take on any enemy at any time. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.